Well, hey, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Tim's. Still good to be together. Great to have you all here. If you're visiting with us, really warm welcome to every one of you. Uh, if you're regular, love you to bits, welcome. Uh, and join me also, folks. We have our online congregation. Let's welcome our church online congregation. Great to have you with us in this journey. Um, one church, five locations, and one of those locations is our online location. It's so good to have you with us every week in our services. Let's, let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your love. God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you you're among us. Thank you, God, you have good plans for our lives. God, you know each and every person here, and I pray just now as we're turning to the Bible you'd speak right into our hearts. Challenge us when we need to be challenged. Provoke us when we need to be provoked. And I pray we would all leave here stronger, clearer, bigger people, stronger in our faith, living for the glory of God. We pray us, and I pray God for anyone today, uh, either here in person or joining us online, who isn't yet connected with you. I'm asking, Father, that you just, something would click in their hearts today. And they would just know, wow, I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to trust in him. So God, we give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so it was early one Sunday morning. Well, actually, it wasn't that early. It was a wee bit, the guy had a, had a lion and his wife woke him up. He was shaking, shaking the husbands. And he woke up, seen his wife over him and he said, you need to get up and we need to go to church. And the guy said, no, I don't want to go to church. And uh, his wife said, no, you need to go to church. And he said, no, well, give me three good reasons why I should go to church. So she said to him, give me three good reasons why you shouldn't go to church. And he said, well, it's, it's a cold place. Pe pe people don't, people secondly, no one likes me. And thirdly, I just don't want to go. And, and then he said to his wife, give me three good reasons why I should go. And she said, firstly, the congregation is warm. Secondly, there are a few people there who like you. And thirdly, you're the pastor. You need to get up, go to church. You need to go to church. Now, we all need encouragement, okay? That story, by the way, just so you're clear, wasn't me, all right? Uh, we all need encouragement. We need encouragement to live the life that God's called us to live. Uh, God doesn't want us to live this life alone. In this series, Love Does, we're talking about the importance of being encouraged. And today's message is love encourages. We believe that encouragement is so vital for you succeeding as an individual and for us succeeding collectively as a church. So let me take you to a, a wonderful part in the Bible, book of Hebrews chapter 10. And before I get to the verses I want to speak about, I want to give you the context. I want you to understand these verses were written to a particular group of Jewish believers in the first century, and I want you to understand the predicament. Before you hear the verses, I want you to hear their context. Ready? Hebrews chapter 32, verse 39. This is, this is the situation of these believers. Remember those early days after you received the light. In other words, when you came to faith. When you, when you come to faith in Jesus, it's like the light going on. And I pray that will happen for many of you today. You, the light's going to go on. You're going to go from darkness to light. He says, when you receive the light, when you endured a great affliction full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Wow! Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Wow! In other words, they weren't living for the now. They were living, they were gripped with God and His love and His purpose, and they weren't just living for the now. That's why they weren't clinging on to stuff. And then he goes on in verse 39 and says, we do, not want, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You know, why do they say that? Well, the writer to the Hebrews is saying that because some people, they used to have faith, or they thought they had, or they said they had. But when the rubber hits the road and the persecution hit, and they were threatened with imprisonment or the confiscation of the property, they said, whoa, I quit. And they shrunk back. Paul's, or whoever wrote Hebrews, is writing to this group of believers and saying, you're the guys who hung on there. You kept hold of your faith. And that faith is what saves you. I'm saved by faith in Jesus. Say that with me. I am saved by faith in Jesus. You're not saved because you're so good. You're not saved because you were christened as a kid. You're not saved because you grew up in a particular background. You're saved through faith in another. And that other is Jesus who died for you on the cross and who rose again. His death was your punishment. He took your punishment. He took your hell so you could have his heaven. He died in your place so you could be forgiven, made righteous, and have eternal life. Anyone grateful for Jesus? You can applaud him. He is great. So it's that faith in Jesus gets you saved. You want to be saved today? Put your trust in Jesus. Now, some people quit because they're discouraged. Some people quit in their faith because they're facing insurmountable challenges. And we, we read about this early church where they were threatened with imprisonment or the confiscation of property. You know, deny Jesus or we're going to take your house off you. That's a huge, huge challenge. Do you know today, we actually face even greater threats to our faith. Today, the threats your faith has to contend with is so much more subtle, much more under the radar, and yet much more crippling than even what they faced back then. It's called consumerism. It's called apathy. It's called indifference to gods. That kind of stuff where you think, yeah, yeah, I might go to church this week, or yeah, God won't mind if I just dabble with this. It's that kind of bland, mediocre, on-the-fence kind of Christianity that will kill your faith more than someone holding a gun at your head and threatening you with prison. I'm telling you. You know, studying church history, history, church history is proven. If you want to kill the church, whatever you do, don't persecute it. Because every time the Christian church has been persecuted, you read your history books, it's grown. Check out China under that communist regime, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Iran, the Farsi believers are growing so fast, even amongst that regime that clamps down on Christianity. You want to kill the church? Whatever you do, don't persecute it. Make it comfortable. Make it respectable. Make it sanitized. And so today, the challenge of this, what we're about, this verse we're about to read is so current for you and I. In that day and age, their faith was challenged because of persecution. In our day and age, our faith is challenged because of comfort, 
because of affluence, because of indifference. It's so deadly to your faith. How important is your faith? I mean, how important is your faith? How important is your passion for Jesus and your love for God? How important are these things? Well, how important is a parachute for you if you're falling through the air? How important is air if you're needing to breathe? How important is a passport if you need to get home? Right? Your faith is your passport, gets you to heaven. Your faith is your parachute, saves you from death. Your faith is what keeps you breathing. Your faith, your passion for God, nothing is more important in your life than your faith in God. Nothing is more important. Now listen, I want to tell you, there are, there are many environments you find yourself in. Your workplace will not encourage your faith. Your educational establishment will not cheer you on in your faith. Maybe your family doesn't encourage your faith. But there is one place on planet Earth designs uniquely to provoke you to grow in your faith. And I'm telling you, your faith is the most important thing in your life. And that unique place on planet Earth designed to provoke you in your faith is called the Church of Jesus Christ. It is the one environment designed by God to cause your faith to thrive, your passion to grow, your love for God to grow. So with that in mind, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to this bunch of people and you can see that they're discouraged. They can see that they're challenged. They just wanted to shrink back but hold on to their faith. So he's saying, in the light of that, and he goes on to say in Hebrews 10 verse 19, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Say that with me. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. That means church. Not giving up in church. Not giving up gathering. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Awesome set of verses. Now, fill in the gap, right? Let me read, the, let me read you the verse. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but... Now, forget what the verse says. What should it say? You know, not giving up meeting together, but meeting together. That's what it should say, right? So it's like, all right, so don't be like those who give up meeting together. Instead, you should meet together. But the Bible takes it that little bit. It kind of up-levels the answer. It up-levels it. It doesn't just say meeting together. It says, but encouraging one another. In other words, there's a quality you need to have when you're meeting together. It's not just bums on seats. It's that as your bums are on those seats, the interactions you have with those around you, and it's as you go through the week, you connect with a small group and continue to interact with those around you. It's not just talking about, hey, tick, I went to church. You want your faith to skyrocket? You want your passions to grow? Then don't just come to church. Don't be like those who are in the habit of not coming, but instead be in the habit of people who do come, but are in gear, fully engaged, totally throwing your weight behind this thing called the local church. Choose your habit. Pick your habit. There's those who give up meeting together, or are you going to be one who gathers for the purpose of encouraging? There are visitors here today that you are meant to welcome. So forget yourself for a minute. Forget about, oh, encourage me, encourage me, you bunch of consumers, right? Forget you. 
Think about someone else. There's someone here today that you are meant to welcome. There are people here today who have had the toughest week of their lives. And the danger is, the danger is all you did was gather. You might miss the moment. If you hunt and you dig under the surface a wee bit, you might just discover some people who have just been going through things this week. And you're here to encourage them. So don't just base level gather. You have, well done. And come every week and come early. Come on time. Make this like it's special. But come in a qualitative way as well with a passion to encourage one another. Not just, see, not gathering, not gathering isn't just saying church is unimportant because God would disagree with you. He calls it his bride. He thinks it's very, very important, okay? Not gathering isn't just saying church is unimportant. Not gathering is you saying that encouraging another person is not important to me when the most important thing in their life is their faith. And you've got to see it as that. And you've got to see me encouraging someone else's faith is the most important thing I can do for another person. Choose your habit. Will you be in a habit that will keep you and your kids and your life on track with destiny? That habit is called being planted in a local church. No perfect local churches. Just, just pick one and throw your weight behind it and plug yourself in. You will find faults in every local church you find. But find one. Plug in. Put your roots down and don't jump around and just stay there and grow. Yeah, that's a habit that will cause you and your kids to grow in their faith and it'll build a lasting legacy for generations to come. Or you could choose a habit that will not only undermine your faith, but will minimize your destiny, will make you miss out on every good thing that God had for you because you cannot fulfill your purpose outside of God's bigger purpose, the church of Jesus Christ. See, it's like a coal in the fire. You put the coal in the fire, it's red hot, it's blazing. It's like when the coals alongside those other coals on fire, it's like they're, 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 the fire of one is causing the fire in the other to ignite. And that's what church should be. Your fire is causing other people to be on fire. Whereas if you take that exact same coal and take it out of the fire, it goes cold. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm till the end will be saved. Standing firm in your faith it's not just having faith, oh, I, I had a faith years ago when I went to that Billy Graham crusade. No, no. Do you currently have faith? That's what saves you. Current, persevering, active faith is saving faith. And Jesus is saying, if you stand firm till the end, you'll be saved. That is, you've got to persevere in this thing. Stay in the fire. Don't isolate yourself. You'll go cold. You want your faith to go cold? Well, stop hanging out with church. You want to be red hot in your faith? Well, it's not just you and Jesus in your living room. It's you and Jesus and others continually gathering, spurring one another on in your faith. So amen if you agree. So it'll encourage your faith. It will encourage you in your purpose, encourage you in your destiny. When you miss church, I want you to miss church. When you miss church, I want you to really miss church. I miss it. I wish I was there. I want you to feel that way, not just about this building, that, this is just secondary. This is the place stops the rain hitting our heads. It's about these people. Okay, so three questions. Question one is, 
What is encouragement? Question two is, why is encouragement important? And number three, how to encourage. All right? Number one, what is encouragement? Okay, the Greek word encouragement. Do you know what the Greek word for encouragement is, folks? Parakaleo. Wow. You guys are good. I thought, I'll ask them question. They could never guess this one. Parakaleo. You guys are on it today. You. Right, so parakaleo. It's made up, it's a compound word. Parakaleo. Para, you know, you recognize that. Parallel, like two lines running alongside each other. Or parachute, you're falling through there, it's alongside you. Parallel, parachute. Okay. Para means alongside. Kaleo, it's like to call. Kaleo, calling. <laughs> like that. So it means to call alongside. You're alongside someone and you're calling things out of their life. You're calling the good things out. You're calling them on in their destiny. That's what it means. Um, Tim, can you be my volunteer? Let's hear it from my volunteer. Thanks for volunteering, Tim. Paul can have my prop. Hi, Tim. Now, Tim, imagine you're a car with a flat battery. Pretend to be a car with... You can... that's, that's good, right? Fantastic. You've done this before, Tim. <laughs> Car with a flat battery. What you need is a jump lead. It's not tickly. It's rubbish. So what you need is a jump lead. So, so my, my battery's full. I'm, I'm absolutely pumped. My faith is on track. And so what we need is we need to connect. My, I need to come alongside him. You ever run out and your battery's run out, gone flat in a car, right? You need to get another car to come alongside you, para. Uh, and, and we need to just transfer power. Okay, so what you do is you get the jump leads. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Just... This might be shocking, Tim, ready? And what's, what's going to happen now is I'm going to send some power. Here it comes, ready? Wow, it worked. I didn't know that. I didn't know if that was going to work. Check that right now. You see that? I, I, I didn't, I've never done that before. I didn't know if it was going to work. See, see what happened was, right, I came alongside him and I called forth blessing. Now, someone's, in, someone's battery's flat, usually because they spent too long in neutral. All right? You spend too long in neutral in your faith. You're not using your faith. You're going to go flat. You're not sharing your faith. You're doing nothing at all to invest in your faith, even though it's the most important thing eternally in your life. You're doing zip all to invest in it. So your battery's flying. So you're, you've been in neutral. So the key now for Tim is to get in gear. Sorry, left hand drive is that one, isn't it? Yeah, so get, get, get in gear and just get in gear and get start moving. And then all of a sudden your battery's going to start pumping. And before you know it, Tim's going to be the one who will encourage others. Let's hear from my flat battery friend, Tim. You got this. Thanks, Paul. Oh. So, para kaleo. You're calling alongside. You gotta, as you're alongside each other, it's like you're kickstarting each other's faith. 
Don't allow your battery to get flat. Stay full and then start kick-starting other people's faith. great example of this in the New Testament is Barnabas. In, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. The apostles called this guy Barnabas, who had previously been called Joseph, because they could see just, man, this guy's so full of encouragement. And as you go on in the book of Acts, you discover he got alongside people and called out their greatness, called out their callings. I'll give you an example. The apostle Paul, he used to be called Saul, he'd been a violent persecutor of Christians, done everything he could to try and eradicate the church. And yet, when he had this Damascus Road experience, Saul met Jesus. And he suddenly realized he'd been fighting for the wrong team. He thought he'd been serving God by killing Christians. Then all of a sudden it dawned on him, man, Jesus is true. I've been fighting the wrong battle. And he, he commits himself to becoming a follower of Jesus. And then he rocks, he rocks up in Jerusalem and says, hey, I'm a Christian now, guys. It's okay. I mean, you, you imagine how the Christians in Jerusalem felt. They'd be thinking, He's, it's a trick. He's going to try and put us in prison. He's going to try and persecute us. But what does it say about Barnabas? It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, he, Saul, tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So what did he do? Barnabas came alongside him and said, I believe in this guy's calling. Called forth his destiny. Believe God's hands in this guy's life. Called forth his destiny alongside him. Three years after that, Barnabas was in a place called Antioch preaching, and there was a church being birthed. And it says, Acts 11, verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas was there and said, I still believe in that guy, Saul. I'm going to bring him. I'm going to call forth his destiny. Gets him alongside him. And if you read on in the verses, they start preaching and teaching together. The church in Antioch is growing. And it's from there, they're sent out on their first missionary journey. And as you go through the book of Acts, it, it goes from being Barnabas and Paul to being Paul and Barnabas. There's a flip. In the verses, it starts, many of the earlier verses, it talks about Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And they would always do it that way to indicate that Barnabas took the lead role and Paul was his assistant. But what happens if you go through the book of Acts is a flip. It goes to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. In other words, what's happened is this. Barnabas hasn't just, hey, I believe in this guy's calling. Hey, Paul, you've got to rise to the destiny God's got for you. He also then stepped back and said, Paul, Ashley, you're the one who's got to lead us. And Barnabas humbly stepped back and elevated Paul. That's what encouragement does. Encouragement is about you coming alongside another and calling out their destiny. So why is encouragement so important? Well, Firstly, encouragement moves you into your destiny. It, it moves you into your destiny. Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur, say spur, how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Um, this week, I went to an event called Spur, based on these verses. Twice a year, me and pastors predominantly of larger churches, kind of the 400 to the 1,000 mark attendance churches, uh, we gather twice a year in Dunblane for a night and a day. And we, it's called Spur. And the reason we meet is, in fact, Alpha Scotland, bless them, they, they organized it originally. 
so that the pastors would get their heads together and just literally just spur one another on. And it's incredible. So as we're together, we're all learning from each other. They're learning from me, I'm learning from them, and together we went, and, and genuinely, we are absolutely rooting for each other. I don't know if you know this, folks, but in the nation, there is good rumblings among the churches. In this city, uh, I, I meet every week with pastors, and we pray for the city. Last, last week, Dave Richards at, at St. Paul's and St. George's was telling me, hey, Pete, as I was preaching, we are talking about our vision. I, I, I mentioned destiny, and I was cheering you guys on from the front. Isn't that cool? We're getting mentioned in other churches. And I, I am the biggest fan of uh, Central and St. Paul's and St. George's and St. Mungo's and Edinburgh, Elam, and great churches. I love them to bits. If they win, I win. If they succeed, I am thrilled. Because this is not about us competing. This is about us completing each other and seeing God's kingdom come collectively through the church of Jesus Christ. Spur one another on. So it goes on at that level, sure, but it's got to go on at a congregational level as well. You see, there are good deeds that God's got for you to walk in. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You aren't saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. You're not saved by being good, but now that you're saved, you have a destiny. You're de- there are good things God wants you to do this week that are part of your calling. There are good plans God wants you to implement in this next year that are part of your calling. That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God, way before the creation of the world, plans you, and he planned a destiny for you? And that destiny is not just a cool idea. It actually has hands and feet. It looks like something. You're going to do things. God's with you to accomplish certain things. And the purpose of being in a church is that you're here to spur one another on to those love and good deeds. That very destiny God's got for you will be fulfilled as you cheer each other on in that destiny. Psychologists developed, two psychologists got their heads together and developed a technique to help people understand themselves better and their relationships with themselves and with each other. It's called the Johari window. The Johari window, just like a window, has got four panes, four quadrants. And here are the four quadrants of your life. First of all, there's the open self. That's the self that you know yourself and others know you, you know? It's the, op- it's the open quadrant. It's, it's the open self. It's like, yeah, there's Drew. I know Drew and Drew knows Drew. It's kind of obvious. Then the next quadrant is the hidden self. That's the part of your life that only you know. Others don't know that part, but you know that part. That's what's going on behind the scenes in your life. The third quadrant is the blind self. And that's the, that's the one where it's, you don't know this aspect of you, but others know. All right? It's like the bit of parsley on your tooth. All right? You're talking away. You're totally unaware of it. And others, everyone's saying, it's a bit of parsley. Actually, is there? No, I didn't have parsley for breakfast. So it's like the bit of parsley in your tooth. You can't see it yourself, but everyone else sees it. Okay? Now, what could that be? Well, it, it, this is how it could be. And this is why you need to be in community, in loving community, people who are rooting for you, faith community. Okay, here's how it can be. You could be dating the wrong chick. Okay? She is a witch. Okay? She, she does seances, and uh, you think, no, but she's got a kind heart. No, she's a witch. Okay? 
and, and your love has blinded you. Love has blinded you. You need a good mate to come along and say, look, dude, look at her broomstick and pointy hat. <laughs> you might think that's cool. It's, it's really not cool. She's a witch. I have nothing to do with it. Ditch the witch, okay? So, hey, and that's a, that's a very exaggerated example. You know, that, that was a very exaggerated. But you could have a varying degrees of that example. Like, love blinds people. You can't say, man, this person is you're really bad for each other, but you just can't see it. Well, that's sometimes encouragement is a challenge. Sometimes encouragement is, dude, wake up for your sake. Okay? You need to have friends around you who love you that much, to be honest with you. But then also encouragement might be, do you know what? You've got an incredible gift in your life. You can't even see it yourself. It's like a piece of parsley in your teeth. You can't see it. Everyone else can see it. Everyone else can see how good you are with this aspect of life or in this area. People are saying, you're really good at that. And you can't even see it yourself. But that's why you need to spur one another on. You see others see in you something that you don't even see in yourself. And maybe you don't see it in yourself because you've got low self-esteem. Maybe you don't believe in yourself. But you need others around you who are spurring you on into the destiny that God's got for you. Okay? And then there's... And, and by the way, the, the best environment for that is small group. And you hear me going on about this week after week. Get yourself in a small group. Don't just come on a Sunday, but go in a small group. I mean, I can spur you on from the front, but I don't know you like others would if, they were, if you were in a small group with them. I get some of your families, your kids, it's not so easy to get to small group. Well, why not the husband goes one week and the wife goes the next week? Figure a way. I just don't want you to be alone. For your sake, I want you to grow, and I know small group will help you. And church online, congregation online, the reason we're doing church online is to be a community for you. And through the week, we have online small groups that the team would love to help you connect with. Okay, then there's the fourth quadrant, which is the mystery self. And it's unknown to you, and it's unknown to others, but not to God. There's stuff in your life that you don't have a clue about. And no one else around you can see. It's not obvious. But it is obvious to God. It's the kind of thing like Saul was not the obvious choice, a killer of Christians. He was not the obvious choice to become a great apostle who plants churches. Kind of a bit of a mystery there. And yet God saw that destiny and called it out from him. And Barnabas had the spiritual perceptivity to hear that call and to get alongside him and to call out the call, para, kaleo, to get alongside him, and to call out with encouragement the destiny of God that was on Saul, Paul. You know, I remember way back when I was a student, there was a guy by the name of Bryn Jones. Bryn Jones is no longer alive, but he was famous in the UK. Birthed the whole movement that in our church and many other churches around the world are birthed from the movement he began. He came as a visitor to our church in Glasgow when I was a student, and I was a steward at the time. And I remember they drove up in the car, and I went to open the car door to welcome them, carry his bags, and and, and basically, I was his host steward for the day. So I welcomed him to the service, and as we're walking between the car and the church building, he said to me, um, because he knew that I was studying to be an architect, he said to me, you have a problem. And I said, I I don't have a problem. And he said, no, you have a problem. And I said, okay, what's my problem? And he said, your problem is you're not going to be an architect. And then he started speaking to me about the things that I was going to go on to do and the call of God that was on my life. Now it was a mystery to me. And it was a mystery to those around me. I was just a young teenager. But it wasn't a mystery to God. And someone had the courage and the ears to hear 
and spoke the word. And again, in your small groups, have the courage to hear God for each other and speak words into each other's lives. You know, people talk about self-discovery. Want to find themselves. You want to find yourself? Seek God. (laughs) You want to find yourself? Seek God. The more you get to know God, the more you'll actually discover who you really are. You ignore God, you're ignoring yourself. Self-discovery, you'll find yourself in the one who made you in the first place, your creator. So encouragement, it moves you into your destiny, but also encouragement prepares you for that day. Church, I want to prepare you for that day. That day. It seems like irrelevant just now. It seems like it's not important. But see, when that day arrives, nothing else will be important. You and I are going to stand before God one day. Hebrews 10, 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day, capital D, day, approaching. The day is coming. There was an article in the Associated Press um, about a guy in the UK, Alfred, Alec Holden, who in April 1997 turned 90. And in April 1997, when he turned 90, he went to the local bookies and placed a bet. He put £100 down that he was going to make it to 100. The bookies gave him the odds 250 to 1 that you'll make it to 100. And in April 2007, he turned 100, and he got 25,000 pounds. <laughs> and uh, he, he worked as a teacher, he worked as a carpenter, he put, he put his light, long age down to porridge. He said porridge was his key <laughs> to success. <laughs> but, but he confessed, and this is what he said in the article, he confessed that in the days leading up to the big payoff, he became very, very careful. And he frequently reminded himself, just keep breathing just keep breathing. (laughs) I don't want you to miss the big payoff, folks. I don't want you to miss the big payoff. The day is approaching. That day is approaching. You know, today, you're closer to that day than you were yesterday. One day is going to be that day when you and I stand before our Creator, our Savior, our God. And in that day, He's not going to say, did you have a cool life? How comfortable were you? Did you, how many holidays did you go on? He's going to say, did you use what I gave you? Did you live the destiny of place in your life? Did you pursue that calling? Hey, I put a gathering of people around you called the church. I know it was a quirky church, but it was the one I gave you. Did you throw your weight in there? Did you grow in those gifts and callings? I want to encourage you, spur you on to love and good deeds And I want you to spur each other on to love and good deeds because that day is approaching. Finally, how to encourage each other. I've got 10 ways. Here we go. Number one, encourage each other by calling, writing, or texting. Um, You have a good thought in your head about someone. Do not have a good thought in your head about someone without telling them. All right? A blessing is not a blessing until it's spoken. Don't internalize, verbalize. It's not a blessing until you tell them. 
you got a good thought in your head about someone? Oh, I thought they did a great job at that football game. I thought, I thought the way they handled that situation was ace. Wow, I loved how he treated his wife. Tell them. Edinburgh is such a kind of keeping people at arm's length kind of nonsense kind of place. Right? Isn't it? Who would want to live in this city? I mean, it's beautiful in that, but the people are naff, okay? We've got to learn. Someone try and encourage you. Got to learn just to say, I'm not going to be like an Edinburgher. I'm going to learn to break out of that comfort zone. If I'm going to think a thought about something, I'm going to go tell them. I think you're cool. Love what you did there. Yeah? It's not a blessing until they hear it. Yesterday, I mean, some of you know on the news, there's... um, the bombardment of Turkey is attacking uh, the people who, who are the Kurdish people living over the border in Syria. We've got a guy in our Leith location who's Kurdish. Several years ago, he spoke to me about how painful he found it that they didn't have their own homeland and they were constantly passed over borders and re- disregarded as a people. I know it's a very hard thing for him. So when I thought about him, I started praying for him a wee bit. Then I thought, why would I want to just pray for him? Why not just phone him? So I picked up the phone yesterday and I phoned him. He's a taxi driver in the city. Say, man, this must be really hard for you. He was blown away that I phoned him just to encourage him. And we prayed over the phone and then he got on with his day. He just dropped someone off. He was about to pick up his next taxi client. Just phone people. Just text people. Just write to them. It doesn't need to be deep and spiritual. Something's just simple. Don't have a thought in your head, a good thought, without telling people about it. Uh, secondly, encourage your nearest and dearest. Encourage your dearest and dearest. Ladies, nagging isn't encouraging. I mean, I don't know why I said ladies nagging. Men or ladies, nagging isn't encouraging, okay? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19. Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. No one say amen. No, guys, I, don't, I, do not, I dare you not, do not say amen. For your own sake, don't say amen. Just un, un, under the surface, it's, it's true. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. You know, just, I mean, it's, oh, but I do encourage him. I say, come on, you can do better. You can do better. (laughs) That's not encouraging. Constantly telling him what he's not good at and failing to acknowledge the things he is good at. But you might say, oh, but but look at all the things he's not good at. Sure, there's one or two things he's good at. Well, listen, I'm telling you, you want him to change? Stop going on about the stuff he's not doing and things he's not good at. Instead, cheer him on with, hey, I noticed that you did that one thing really well. Champion that. Champion that. Say amen, ladies. Say amen, men. Do not let anyone else compliment your spouse more than you do. You be the biggest encourager of your spouse. getting nervous in this place. You know, oh, but she already knows that I love her. She already knows that I love her, and I I don't need to keep telling her. She already knows I think she's beautiful. Dude, I've never had a wife come to me and say, he keeps telling me he loves me. It's getting tiresome. He told me I'm beautiful, and he loves me again. No, no, they like that. Just keep doing it. I mean, don't let your teacher or your coach compliment your kid more than you do. Oh, but Pete, I don't want them to get a big head. No, you want them to have a big heart. I mean, 
if, if, if you want, just, just treat them the way you're treating them and they'll turn out like a grumpy sod like you. Yeah? Or you could cheer them on, call their destiny out, get alongside them, call their destiny out. Uh, three, encourage by visiting. Visit someone in their home. When's the last time you visited someone in their home to encourage them? Or visit them when they're in hospital? I know what you're all saying. You're saying, ah, but that's the pastor's job. I've got a Bible verse for you. Matthew 25, verse 39. Jesus speaking not to pastors. Jesus speaking to sheep. Not to shepherds. To sheep, to believers. When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. He took it personally. He took it personally. Yes, he did. When you made that meal for that person, when you went to visit that person in hospital, I don't care if you're not a pastor. Why would you want to wait until you're a pastor to do this? Oh no, I'll, I'll wait a bit longer because I don't want to be so blessed that I get to do those things just now. Seriously, get your sleeves rolled up and get out there and be a blessing. Fourthly, encourage specifically, specifically. You see, if you just give general encouragement, you know, you, you pass someone, maybe you're a boss and you've got an employee and you say, oh, you do a great job, and then you keep going. It's kind of like, all right, in what way? In what way? Well, be a bit more detailed. Because here's the thing, discouragement is typically very specific, right? In people's heads, they get very specific discouragement. There are specific aspects of their life that they are discouraged about. And you have no way in counteracting the specific discouragements if you give generalized encouragements. You've got to get specific with your encouragements. You've got to be targeted like a sniper. This area, the way you handled that thing, the way you dealt with that person, the way you said those things, that was absolutely fantastic. Number five. Encouraged by praying for someone. Uh, I was at the gym last week, and after being at the gym, uh, there was a lad, one of Michael's friends was at the gym doing his workout. And I saw him, I said, hey. And we, we had a wee, quick chat. And as I left the gym, I found myself praying for him. Just going back to my car, I was praying for him. God bless that guy. Um, I, I, and I was thinking, I hope he's still going to church, because I knew he went to another church in the city. I hope he's still going to church. I hope he's strong in his faith. And I thought, why would I just think that? So I'd already put my stuff in the car. So I went all the way back into the gym again. I said, hey, me again. And this time he was on the kind of climber or something. And I got in the climber next to him and said, I was just praying for you on the way to the car. And I just wanted to say, are you still going to church? And he said, yeah, yeah, sometimes. I said, brilliant. You, you keep going because that's probably the most important thing you can do for your soul. And I just, I've been praying for you and I, I wanted to say that to you. All right, have a fantastic day. Then just left. Pray for people. And as you're praying for people, just do the simple things. It doesn't need to be, oh, I have this word from the Lord. It can be that, or it can just be real simple encouragement. Number six, encourage with Scripture. Scripture, truth, builds people up. For 21 years now, this church, in this church, I've been weekly, every week, encouraging from the front with Scripture. Every week, preaching from the Bible 
encouraging you to go for it in your faith. Why? Because there's nothing more important to me than you winning in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing more important. I will die happy if you're thriving in your faith, if you're pursuing God more in love with Jesus, active in your faith. I will die a happy man. That's, for me, this is not a job. This is a passion. So I weakly encourage you. However, um, I want you to be encouraged. You need more than me encouraging you weekly from the front. You need to be encouraging each other. So get your Bibles out. If you see a Bible verse that blesses you, bless someone else with that Bible verse. Text things to people. Phone people. At small groups, share what you've been learning. Spur one another on. Number seven, encourage with correction. Say, uh-oh. Proverbs 27, verse 6. The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. It's what it's saying is this, that your enemies might tell you, everything's fine, everything's going cool. But actually, you're making the craziest decisions of your life. You know, the kind of, the agenda of society is, you can't tell anyone that what they're doing is wrong. That's a lie. That is a lie. Do not believe that lie. If you love people and you see them taking poison, you're going to say, hey, that's going to kill you. Don't do that. Be courageous enough to be a friend who sometimes wounds. And then finally, sorry, eighthly, encourage with a gift. Buy a gift for someone. Ninthly, encourage prophetically. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. If you want to encourage people in a real deep way, bring prophecies to them. I, whenever I get a prophecy, I write it down. And sometimes I'll get them to record it in a, in a voice memo for me. And the number of times God knows that I will get out those prophecies and I will play them back to myself. And I'll say, God, thank you for encouraging me. Be that kind of encourager. And then tensely, finally, encourage with the gospel. You see, discouragement sticks because it has credibility. You agree with it. You know, if there's a discouragement in your head, it sticks because it you kind of, you know, I kind of agree with it. I did fail in that area. For encouragement to have credibility, it needs to be accurate. It can't just be hopeful. It needs to be accurate. So, question, how can you encourage someone accurately who's genuinely failed? Who's genuinely blown it? The answer is the gospel. Because the gospel tells failures sinners, leaders who could have done better. The gospel tells people like that, that their failure is not the last word, but the cross is the last word over your life. What God says about you is final over your life, not what you have done or how you failed. That's not final. God's word is final. God declares, even though you've blown it, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he made him who you know sin to be sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God. Tells people who think, man, I can't, I can't succeed. I've failed so many times. The gospel says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God's word over you, the cross over you is God's final word, not your failure, not your upsets, not your disillusionments. God's word is final in your life. Let the gospel encourage you and use that gospel to encourage one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for that gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that even though we've failed, even though we've missed it, and even though so often we let you and others down, God, thank you so much that, Lord God, your cross has declared great things over our lives. 
Jesus, we're so grateful to you for your victory that we get to live in. God, I pray blessing and encouragement on everyone joining us online, and I pray for your blessing and encouragement on this congregation right here in Gorgie. Jesus, thank you. You are the God of encouragement. You're the God who constantly cheers us on. And Lord, we want to learn to partner with you to be cheering each other on in our destiny, in our calling. Come Holy Spirit, move among us, I pray. In his presence, take a moment to make your own response to God just now. Lots of information has come your way today. Maybe two or three things have just stood out in your mind. Take a moment and make your own response to God right now. If you need to make some decisions in his presence, then go for it. people are praying might be today that you're not yet connected with God I'm so pleased that you're connecting with us today thank you for being here or thank you for joining us online you walking with God there literally is nothing more important if you're disconnected with God there's nothing worse and there's nothing greater than you and God walking with each other and right now if you're saying Peter I want God in my life then boy, does God want that. He wants to be in your life. But he waits for you to invite him. So very simply, this is your moment. If you want to ask God to be part of your life, not just part, but take the center stage in your life, then pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, let this be your cry to God. Pray after me one line at a time. Dear Lord God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for being alive right now. I believe you died so that I could be forgiven and have a whole new life. I'm asking today, give me a new start. I want to follow you from now on. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as yours. Keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer just now. If you prayed that prayer, can you let me know you prayed the prayer by very simply, while everyone else's eyes are closed, no moving, no distractions. This is so important. If you're here today and you made that decision, just quickly raise your hand and say, that's me today and I want to pray for you. Thanks. Thanks. That's fantastic. Is there anyone else? There's literally no greater decision you can make before I pray. Is there any last person? God, I want to thank you for my two friends today in your presence. They've just made the greatest decision ever and I thank you you've heard their prayer. When they ask for forgiveness, Jesus, thank you, you granted it based on your death and resurrection. And when they've put their trust in you, thank you, Jesus, you've accepted them now into your family. They now have eternal life. I pray, bless them. Let this be the beginning of a great journey with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.